Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. On today's podcast, I have Eileen Green. She's a 93-year-old empowered and fearless woman who strongly believes that there is no age limit to achieving your goals and dreams. For Eileen, it's never too late. She's an active life coach using hypnotherapy and psychotherapeutic methods to help her clients. And she once, which I'd love to find out more about, used the powers of her mind to bend cutlery. She's also one of the first people to be certified NLP from Tony Robbins. She's a TED Talk lecturer and became certified in hypnotherapy master's degree in spiritual psychology. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Eileen. Hey, welcome. Well, I thank you for your big welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be here. I'm looking into those pretty blue eyes. Too <laughs> <laughs> kind. Thank you, Eileen. Um, I'm really excited to chat with you. I mean, I love the fact that you're still on the learning and growth path and, and developing your skills along the way, uh, which I think is awesome. And being an active life coach, uh, I'd love to kind of get a little insights of what got you started in the areas of hypnotherapist and spiritual psychology. What kicked off that journey for you? That journey was my need to uh, enhance myself with meaningful uh, opportunities for myself and for others. Um, I have always wanted to be of help. And I became so aware of so many hidden Uh, detriments to our lives that um, it was miraculous for me to be able to further learn and help people while I was learning. I didn't get my master's until I was 75. Wow. Um, But by that time, I had had a lot of certifications. And I realized that there were many hidden challenges for me. And so there must be a lot of hidden challenges for a lot of people because we acquire things consciously and subconsciously and they become who we are. And when I was able to make changes, I was just so thrilled that I learned the ability and get, kept gaining the, the ability with my clients to be able to rewrite the initial sensitizing experience. Mm-hmm. And that is a wonderful thing that you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, it is done, as I'm told from my clients, very easily when I work with him. Well, that's awesome. So what you're talking about is the fact that there's certain things that happen to us that cause us to create habits, right? And there's certain patterns of behavior, patterns of survival, patterns of ways to deal with what happens in life. And what you're talking about in the way that you help people is you help people kind of rewrite that story of what happened to them and kind of give them a more empowering mindset, belief, pattern of behavior. 
Yeah, it's also certain things that you tell yourself. Like I, when I wake up, I give gratitude for what I had and what I still have. I go into forgiveness to myself and others. I go into um, acceptance of myself and others. And then I set intentions. Now, when you set the intentions, if they are done in a meaningful way, um, I'll jump into this because it's very important. The body receives the messages from the brain. And when you use words like I'll try, or I hope, or maybe, or various ones, which allow for failure, you're not helping yourself. So it's necessary to rewrite your script mm -hmm. in a positive manner. And it's also important that you continually remind yourself of the changes. And so I go into the forgiveness, I go into the intention, and um, I set forth goals for myself. And my TED talk was, it's never too late until it is. So I encourage people to not live with the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Mm -hmm. And to do it now, because yeah. you're never too late. And that's what my age indicates to people, because I'm still studying, I am still learning. That, and that's the thing, it's a, with a lot of people, they look at milestones as like, I'm climbing to the top of a mountain. And then I put the flag on top of the mountain and then I'm done. And then it's all down, all downhill from there. But you know, really what it's about, it's more like a, a long swim across the ocean where you just keep swimming. <laughs> you might hit one spot for a second. You gotta keep going though. There is no there is no end in terms of growth. Well, is that I acknowledge you for that, but I also feel that there are certain people that I am not able to help. Mm -hmm. and those are the victims because mm -hmm. it's always somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. And you cannot enter them if they're not going to take responsibility for themselves. Have you been able to inspire people to take responsibility or make them aware of their, the, you know, detach their victim identity from who they are as you... i have not been able to succeed successfully mm -hmm. with because they won't accept the fact that it's their fault mm -hmm. they won't acknowledge that there's a better way to live mm -hmm. they are definitely going to insist that it's never their fault mm -hmm. when you hit a stone <laughs> So the most I can do with them is to give them permission to vent to me, make a couple of suggestions, but they don't follow through. 
because it's not their fault. <laughs> Let me ask you this in terms of, so you're, you're right with, when, with the victims, it, it, there's, there's a sense of giving up your power. Someone yes. else, it's someone else's fault, someone else's power, someone else did a thing. And so you, there's, there's that victim mindset. Now I would say that there's probably victim moments um, where people are mostly have that victor mindset, but maybe sometimes they slip into patterns of behaviors or patterns of powerless that, that's, that, that can come as a, as a moment in time where maybe they get up, they just don't want to do the work <laughs> or whatever thing might be um, for them. You know, what would you, what would you say to those people? That might, that might just need like a shift where they're normally in that thing, but something might knock them on their butt. There is nothing that they will accept, you see, because they have a mindset where it's always somebody else's fault. Mm. So it's like hitting a brick wall. And so most you can do is let them vent if they so choose, but they won't go into it the way a person who truly is reminded of initial sensitizing experience. Now, I'll tell you, the initial sensitizing experience that I had with my father who was the kindest, nicest man, but he had a dry sense of humor. And um, I, had, I was young and I had brought him my report card. And at that time it was in numerals. So he looked at the card and he says, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had only one mark under a hundred and it was a 98. Everything else was 100. So my father looks at me and he says, so whatever happened to the two points? That embedded itself in me to the point that I was never, I was good, but never good enough. Never good enough. And I always came in second. Until realized that it was my father's way of trying to encourage me. And I took it as I was good, but not good enough. Mm-hmm. So when I finally rewrote it and accepted the fact that I am good enough, I became a different person. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, right, to be first become aware that that was the original incident that was affecting your current behavior, did you, how did you come to that, that conclusion? Did it, was it through journaling? Was it through when you had a triggering event, you thought that kind of, you could track back the emotions or how did you first become aware that that was the event that caused that voice? Well, when I was studying and I learned that we have hidden messages Mm -hmm. that uh, occupy our brain and in many cases are deterrents. So if that can be rewritten 
um, the it, it just becomes different. And then, as I told you, with all of the things that I say to myself and encourage myself, that popped up. And I talked to my father and told him that I really understood him now. And um, I'm going to listen to him. <laughs> and I'm going to do better and better and better. Mm. And I will do the best I can. And if having that 198 is the best that I can at that time, doesn't mean that I can't do other things to my delight and acceptance. Mm. So I did get on the, the basketball team and I did become a counselor and I did volunteer and I did learn and I did move forward. And, but I have an interesting story that most people um, are more aware of now than they ever were. And that is I had one client who, when I was bringing her back into her past life, lovely, lovely person, easily back, and, uh, but she had her concerns. And so at this particular point, I had worked on her for several sessions. And I said, well, where are you? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you doing? And she says, it is very, very dark. It is so dark. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not doing anything. But I hear my mother and father. And they're arguing. And my father was very mean. So, because, and I said, where could she be? They didn't put her in a closet. They didn't put her in. Said she has to be in the womb. Ran to the library because this was early on in my practice. And sure enough, they have cases where that is what happens. And mm -hmm. so today, the mothers are told to put their hands on the babies, you know, on their stomach, to sing to them, to pat them, to tell them that you love them. It's authentic. They can feel the, the, the emotion and the energy and the connection of the outside environment. So it's kind of that early forming period for them, which is pretty incredible that you could have a memory of that. Isn't that incredible? Have, have you noticed in terms of like, like hypnotherapy, and it sounds like you had them under some sort of like regression, like have you, do you have any theories about how that works, how the hypnotherapy works, or how, how does it, like, what are we really tapping into when we have the ability to be able to pull up those memories and those thoughts and those experiences? Yeah. We are able to pull in the initial sensitizing experience. Unfortunately, there may be more than one. And the experiences that you bring back to yourself 
you can rewrite it to understand that their argument was one that meant that there might be an eventual divorce, but it also might be a happy marriage because people can be impulsive and initially irritated for things that are not as important to them as they think. So when you have that awareness and you can go in and rewrite it and understand what you're saying about it being something that you know doesn't necessarily mean that it's a detriment so i mean there's being able to access the memory and there's the being able to rewrite it right so one thing is can you access the the original incident or sensitizing moment that you're talking about another one is being able to re rewrite it have you seen i know you did tony robbins um nlp and you've done the hypnotherapy what have you seen as effective modalities for being able to help rewrite and also keep that rewriting the story because it's one thing if i say it to myself uh it's another thing if it happens again and again and again like how do you integrate that how do you keep that rewriting this is a language that has to be changed and mm. that is the homework that i give <laughs> mm. take a piece of paper mm -hmm. and in the center of it put a big heart and in the heart, you put I am. And off of that heart, you put tangents. So all of the things that you are telling yourself that are negative, which are detrimental to your well-being, because negativity, as I repeat, is a poison to the body. So you take this I am. And instead of I want to, or I'll try, or I'll, I can, or whatever, you say, I am consciously aware of my positive language. I am enjoying the opportunity to live life to the fullest. I am. And each person has their own I am list because we're not all troubled with the same uh, concerns, challenges, uh, obstacles, whatever you want to call it. They're different. And so when you have the ability to put them into positivity and that piece of paper goes up on the refrigerator, goes up on a wherever you want, as long as you at least look at it once in a while to be sure that you are on this new track. I am healthy. I am, um, though I have many itises, otises, eas, and all of that stuff, which I do, <laughs> um, I am walking, I am talking, I am eating, 
I am reading, I am still learning. So you have them, the good exercise, so you're having them really list all of the identities that they have and all of the things that, that really shape that identity. I'm, I'm grateful, I am kind, I am successful, whatever the, the thing is, and have them repeat that and look at that again and again to really kind of get into that, that subconscious. Yes, because if you say, I'll try, or mm -hmm. I hope, or I wish, you allow for failure. Think about the words that we use that allow for failure. Now, what do you think are things that really solidify that? Because I think they're like, you know, you're, there's, you're saying these I am statements, which are powerful. There's also, I'm sure there's other things to, if you do that, you know, say that in front of somebody for accountability, you, I don't know, you, uh, you, you, you make a challenge out of it or whatever it might be. Like, what do you think really reinforces that? Because I think some people, it's like, um, it's like, the way I think about it visually is people have these balloons filled up with their own BS and they're trying to hold their BS underneath the water, right? So you have a bunch of balloons, you're trying to hold it under the water, your head's just above the water and you're saying, I'm great, I'm great. And you're really rejecting all of these other identities that you're pushing down and trying to keep away. And so how do you, you know, I think sometimes people say that, but you can tell they're like, I am great. And, but they have that, Every, every bit of the energy, the inflection, the tones, the, the subconscious patterns, the I'm saying I'm great, but I'm really stressed out because my kids are da, 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 right? How do you get them to, how do you, how do you have them deal with those two conflicting things going on at the same time? What otherwise known as cognitive dissonance, right? How do you deal with that? There's a very important thing that I neglected to put at the front of the list, mm -hmm. and that's breathing. <laughs> <laughs> When you are stressed, when you are anxious, when, no matter really when, when you want to meditate, which is also a very important thing, meditation, you go into deep breathing. And you breathe into your stomach and then breathe out very slowly. And you do that as many times as is necessary to center yourself and give yourself the ability to focus. Another method that I use prior to some of this is journaling. It's really a wonderful thing to write. And what happens is you can burn it, you can tear it up or you can just keep reading it again and again and again. The important thing is to take various methods to meditate, as I say, to relax, to write. And the I am is a constant that can be done in a five minute shot whereas the others take a little longer. So your determination and your desire is what truly counts. And then the ability to make a commitment to move forward 
we don't usually take one step and then we're fine. It's a process of reconditioning your body and your mind. Now, of course, you have food to contend with. That's important. You have exercise to contend with, which is important. You have companionship, whether it be in person or with somebody uh, on, online, no matter what it is, you need to connect your mind and your body mm. and your intentions. Yeah, it's it's funny because like we're not just one thing, right? We are our mind, but we're also our body. We're also our spirit. We're also who we are and how we relate to others. So, and isn't you now you have a, a balancing act of maintaining those different areas um, of our life, yes. you know, focusing and on being able to find the pleasures in life in spite of the challenges. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a one of the things that uh, a question for you that comes to mind when you talk about that is around purpose of life. And I feel like as we move through different phases of our age, and we do, we have kind of shifts on what our focus and what we believe our purpose is, what gives us meaning, what gives us pleasure, and what are your thoughts around like seeking pleasure? versus purpose of life and what's the meaning behind all of this as you as you go on this journey here for yourself what stands out to you about that um i don't think there are two people that would agree on the same thing a great deal of it depends upon your upbringing and what you personally excuse me my dog would you want to my, I have a dog that's not well. Yeah, so then. Okay. Forgive me, but she's. Thank you, Sammy. Okay. Um, I grew up during the crash, 10 years of depression, in a society that um, was black and white, right and wrong, uh, good girl, bad girl. That's how I grew up. And um, I wasn't alone. And of course, being Jewish, I was persecuted. I was forbidden to go places. They would have signs that said, not allowed or whatever. And when I asked my father, I thought it would be for dogs and cats. And it wasn't, it was for Jewish people. <laughs> so our background is embedded in us. We want to stay that way or we want to move forward. So that's a decision that each individual needs to make. There are people that join cults. There are people that have different sexes than they had before. There are so many changes in life. And whether you when I was supposed to go to Cornell and what happened when I was ready to go, they ended the war. And so the soldiers came back. And so who are they going to take off of the list 
but a Jewish girl. Mm -hmm. So I had many things that were opposed to what I was living. And I decided that there's a reason I was here on this earth. And it was not to complain. It was to be a good girl. Yeah, and that's why I got married early. <laughs> because you didn't have sex before you were married. So I decided to have a family, to raise my children, and to raise them to be good citizens. I married a man who was very entrepreneurial in many ways. He started a Boy Scout troop. He worked for, he, he flew for, uh, air, for, he flew parts of the body all over because he became a pilot, a private pilot. Anyway, and I did volunteer work and I got a lot of um, encouragement to keep moving forward because my family was always helping people, always. So that was my incentive. Mm. Took me 25 years to get out of college, went at night, still did all the things for my kids that I was supposed to, still was a room mother, still did this, still did that. And I found that in spite of many illnesses and many hospitalizations, my mind wasn't accepting them as my life. I had a life. I came out of the hospital. I walked. I took the meds that they wanted me to. And I did the best I could at the time. And as I kept doing that, it encouraged me to go further and further and further. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and so you've had, you know, you've had challenges that kind of forced you to make a decision yes. at a younger age that said, okay, do you want to stay here or do you want to grow? Because you've been, you're, you know, blessed in one part to be around an environment of, of supportive people that say go you know go and grow and then part of you was that resilient side of you that chose to keep growing you you've been able to kind of realize that it's not you know especially after you have kids it's not okay now it's time for me to shrink and you know it's 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 you, you keep going on that path which uh which yeah, is really inspiring i started with polio mm -hmm. when i was six I've had pneumonias. I have everything, and I'm now a diabetic. Um, I am conscious of all the parts that I talked about, the food, the diet, the exercise, the mindset, the intentions. And my father and mother and my, all my family were very giving all the time. And I remember my dad, when he was working, uh, he was a CPA, and he always dressed magnificently. And people that he knew, not just off the street, but 
they would admire his tie, he would give it to them. I mean, it was, it was that way. There's a, a, a form of like uh, self-respect and pride in the fact that where he's been able to grow into and what he's been able to do. My father was one of 25 people out of 365 that applied for the job with Thomas E. Dewey when he was the district attorney of Manhattan, who decided that he needed forensic accountants to put the mafia in jail. So you know how far back that goes. So of that 365, my father was one of 25 that was taken. Wow. So I grew up with integrity. I grew up with intention. My grandmother, when she had her, her uh, chemo for her cancer, she still went to the charity home that she worked at, not to make money, but to volunteer. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, some very good household lessons. I mean, I mean, inside that, like one of the, I don't know if you had any thoughts on this, like one of, I think one of the most meaningful, one of the most painful books I've ever read is Victor Franco's, uh, Franco's search, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, in terms of that, like what you're talking about here, I feel like there's a lot of things that resonate with, you know, between stimulus and response lies your choice and you lies your choice lies your power. And I think what we're talking about the victims versus masters. Um, have you had a chance to, to read that book? It seems like a lot of the... Um, Oh, it was a story about a man whose personal biography of going through Auschwitz as a Jewish male and a whole journey that he went through and watching people lose themselves and some became sinners and some became saints and try to understand why uh, a lot of that came around to, um, you know, the stories we tell ourselves and assigning meaning uh, to pain and meaning to suffering. And if you can create meaning, then the pain goes away, like a mom would go underneath a burning bus to save a child because the meaning's greater than the pain um it sounds to me like you found a lot of meaning um, in some of the things that you're going through and a lot of lessons that would serve you and that it's it's cool to see you pass it along um along your journey well my three boys are all professionals and they contribute to the world that's beautiful and my i have six grandchildren and I have two great-grandchildren with two more on the way. That's my prize. And I used to tease that you don't kill your kids because you want grandchildren. <laughs> I would call that uh, uh, enlightened self-interest. Is that is that would be the uh, the, the terminology? <laughs> have my kids survive because I want grandkids. What like I mean, looking at this thing, I mean, you're on this journey of of, of growth and self discovery, and you've done psychology and hypnotherapy, and you're still on the mission of or well, not mission, but still doing like active life coaching and stuff like that. I mean, what are the feelings that you're really seeking out of this? Like, how do you you you're you're, you're on this continuous growth path? Uh, for what things you're doing, which I think is absolutely like one of my biggest values is 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 personal growth and and personal development. And just I would just love to see from like from your perspective, the 
Like, do you ever wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't want to learn this thing. I don't want to continue to grow. And like, have you like, like, where do you, like, as you go through this and you search inwards to get the outward production, because I consider that's a, it's a journey, right? And we're always kind of, we have a direction we want to go in, but sometimes we leave, right? How do you, what, what feelings are you accessing? And then what's allowing you to keep moving forward in that direction? Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, when I do my morning thing with the intention, one morning I said, I don't have any intentions. And I said, Irene, you're not getting out of this bed until you find one. So what the intentions are, I guess to see, I, I'm not looking for validation. I'm looking for the knowledge that I have given tools to people for a better life for them. And that's to me like the best thing that I can do now because I had to give up all my activities physically. Uh, I do have a lot of stuff going on and um, the body is showing signs of uh, the fact that it's going to be more and more limited so I go into acceptance that at least I'm still here and I'm not in the hospital even though I have pain so I made a deal with God or whoever that as long as he can keep my brain, I'll handle the challenges. Because I don't know if you can have both. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of things I don't know. And I do it because I feel that's one of the reasons I'm still here, is to help people. And my son, one son does it politically, the other son does it, he's a, um, in, in the courts, mm -hmm. he's a not, he didn't want to be a judge because he wanted to raise his three children. So he's, and he works out of Van Nuys, he works out of San Fernando and his wife works out of Van Nuys and they have three boys. And wow. my youngest son is, uh, he, he's got certifications and masters in a lot of, lot of stuff. And he became a multifaceted person. He's in construction, but he also is a trainer and he also has a gym. And he, I mean, they're all making a difference in this world. And did I say my oldest is he teaches political science mm. and he travels around the world coaching people. In fact, one of his one of the people he coached was Princess Diana. And he was one of just a handful of people that were at her funeral and he was one away from Parvarati. So 
life to me has to have a meaning. And yours, and when you talk about like your, what I would call your holy grail, your, uh, say flag in the sand, your your meaning is is helping people, or what's the for yourself personally? What's the, what what gives you all the meaning? Proving myself, being a role model. I'll tell you, my older son and I play ping pong because it's about the only game I can play right now, and we volley back and forth, back and forth, and he films it all the time and so I one time we started out where we did 50 and then we did 100 and we think we broke a record we always 1246 <laughs> she recorded that for the internet well, I have it. We have it recorded. Oh, uh, my son is very, very. He's encouraged me a lot to do things. In fact, he was the one that said that I said, Richard, if I take that course for my master's, I'll be seventy-five when I graduate. He says, Mom, you're going to be seventy-five anyway. So. I put that in my TED talk, see, so that we can, <laughs> well, I can encourage people to don't live with the shoulda, coulda, waters. Go for it. Age yeah. is just a number. What do you, let me ask you a question on this one is, let's just say someone has like a, uh, what I would call the cave you fear to enter. There's some sort of brave step they need to take. They know you the coulda, shoulda, waters, right? Someone's like, oh, I should, I could, I would. Right, but it's, it's very difficult to have people take that brave step into the unknown, right? Especially if it's something that's different or takes a really long time or whatever it is. What advice would you give to somebody that's sitting at the edge of some cliff that they coulda, woulda, shoulda jumped off of, but they don't, they don't have inside of them? I had an experience with a lady when I did the TED Talk, there was an intermission and I was in the beginning. She came to me with tears in her eyes and she said, ah, I'm listening to you and I'm crying because I've been told I'm too old. And uh, she said, and it's something I've always wanted to do. So I took her aside and she explained to me that she was a legal secretary and she wanted to be a lawyer. And she was 57 years old. And uh, I said, 57, my goodness. <laughs> um, I said, you're working. You obviously need to continue working. She said, yes. I said, well, you have the opportunity now, which I didn't have years ago, and that was to do things online. Would that be something you could do? She said, yeah. How long would it take? Well, she said, you know, maybe two years because I, you know, I can't give up my job. I said, okay, let's say it takes three years. Just, just for the heck of it. So you're going to be 60 anyway. That's what the deal is. So either you're going to cry or you're going to do it. She said, oh my God, of course I'm going to do it. It's beautiful. 
So you help her help her see her future and go, what 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 one do you want to do? Um, I don't know what happened. I don't follow through. People want me, they call me. Beautiful. When we talked about the, the purpose being is the, the constant growth and being a, a role model and to expand yourself and to kind of challenge yourself, what would be what I'd call the dragon? What's the thing so difficult to overcome that in order to, you know, you want to hit this holy grail, you want to do this, this, this purpose of why you're here, what do you think is a, the dragon for you to overcome in order to make that possible? You know, there are things when you age that are no longer applicable because you have restraints. I was, for over 58 years, I was an interior designer. I had to travel, but it was not that far, but far enough with the traffic, so far. And then my diabetes started acting up and there was no way I could continue that job. So that's when I started opening up my home to people before the pandemic. And um, I had clients in my house for remedies. Um, there's always an alternative if you truly, truly have a need, you'll find it, that you can fill it. People are taking in dogs, people are taking in cats, people are doing things they've never done before because they are recognizing a need. People are volunteering. People are taking jobs that they're not particularly happy about, but, and then there are those that want to complain. <laughs> That's all, they just want to complain. Yeah, I love that. And where there's a, there's a need, there's a way. Um, it's beautiful. There's a substitute. You know, we've had substitute teachers all our life. <laughs> And some of them were wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. It can be. It can be. Uh, Eileen, this has been wonderful. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? No, basically, they have to um, come up with something that they feel I would be helpful for. And um, my email is egreen with an e three to one at aol.com and if they identify themselves i'm sure to call them back awesome perfect eileen thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate you sharing your journey with us this has been an excellent talk um uh, thank you so much for your time and i will see you on the other side thank you so much you've been delightful absolutely Keep up, keep up your good work. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes or to apply to be on the show. 
If you're interested about becoming a coach in VR, check out Dylan's Becoming a Master Coach in Virtual Reality course at heroesofreality.com slash VRcoach. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the other side.